0: This is The God Show,
1: a conversation about the human spirit with your host, Pat McMahon. Now, if you're a regular listener to The God Show, and certainly I hope you have been over these 24 years now that we've been doing this, um, wherever it is that you are in the world, because this is an international broadcast, wherever you are, if you listen to the show with any regularity, you know that I rarely, if ever, quote scripture uh, because that's a lost cause when it comes to someone like me at least who is totally incapable of remembering and quoting accurately uh, the scriptures, anybody's scriptures. But at this point, I think that it's important that we at least begin by simply remembering this line, And on the seventh day, he rested. Now that was even easy for me. And almost all of you, I'm sure, wherever you are on the planet, remember some form of that. And that's why it's a particular pleasure to bring to you as our guest today, Martin Doblemeyer, award-winning documentary producer, director, uh, he's done over 30 documentaries, and perhaps even more since that line uh, was ascribed to him. Martin, how many is it now? Is 30 accurate? Uh, it's a couple of more, but 30 a round number, so we can leave it at that. <laughs> well, let's talk about the latest one, Sabbath, uh, producer-director of a documentary about the Sabbath from the perspective of a number of faiths. What about your Sabbath, by by the way, growing up? I never did read anything about that. Well, I was, uh, I was, I was born and raised uh, uh, Roman Catholic.
0: And so our Sabbath was on Sunday, obviously. And uh, the thing that I find really interesting is as I was making the film, a lot of people, uh, Pat, had a rather negative memory of Sabbath as a day of filled with rules and regulations. Most of the things, you, you can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, we were governed a lot by blue laws. Uh, people growing up old enough to remember the blue laws, so the whole notion of Sabbath had all these parameters set as, set uh, to govern behavior of it. And certainly that was the case for me as a growing up as a kid Roman Catholic. We were told that if we didn't go to church on Sunday, that if we missed church intentionally, that was a mortal sin. And that's a lot to put on an eight or nine or ten year old. And so uh, part of the part of what I wanted to do with the film is to say, you, you know, maybe it's time that we sort of get over the negative side, the, the, the restrictions that were put on us as a result of Sabbath and see the possibilities. The idea of, of Sabbath being a gift and a time of rest, a time of earned rest. And that's something that I think our culture, that seems to be quite happy to go 24-7 these days, really needs. And that's why I think so many people have been telling us, you know, uh, this is a, f- a film that seems incredibly timely right now. And, and, I, and I hope that people look at it with a bit of an openness to the idea of what Sabbath is and and why it really comes to us as a gift.
1: I know that your background, uh, your family background includes Rhode Island uh, and other parts uh, of that part of the East Coast. Are you still living in New York? Uh, My wife and I and our our son, we live just outside of Washington,
0: D.C. in Alexandria, Virginia.
1: Oh, well, another busy community. I was just asking about New York because I know that you spent some time there. And between New York and Washington, I don't know uh, who would be the perfect example of saying, I don't have time for the (laughs) Sabbath or even lunch. Uh, Do you find in doing the research that you did for this film? that was just released in June, um, is it as important now as when we were growing up? Uh, Sabbath, the idea of Sabbath, I think it's even more so.
0: I I think it's even more so when you think about it. I think think our culture is so different than it was a generation or two ago. I mean, the, the possibility of because of technology, technology is wonderful. It provides us with so many possibilities. But what it does is it means that we're all available 24-7, and the expectation is that we're all available 24-7. And so people, uh, many people today, different than I think a couple of generations ago, many people are working for themselves. If you decide to take a day off, it it very easily could be lost money, lost position. The risks of taking time off are are even greater, I think, than they might have been uh, two generations ago. But the difference is that you, the need becomes even greater to take some time to stop and remember who you are and remember who you are in relationship to others and remember who you are in relationship to God and the earth around you. And that's the fundamental message for Sabbath, and I think that's what we try to to get to, and we and we did it in in a way that uh, I, I think we we fleshed out a number of different religious communities and even non-religious groups that are that are looking at Sabbath. You know, the, what I find really interesting is that there's, there are, there's a growing number of people, Pat, in this country who are taking on their own, voluntarily, something they call a tech Sabbath. Mm-hmm. They're putting down the cell phones. They're putting down the laptops. They're walking away from the computers and saying, I'm going to walk away from this for 24 hours. And, and when people know that, and that's, that's happened to me now, I've, I do this. And when people know that you're just kind of not available, they don't text you. They let you alone for 24 hours. And it's just a way to say, you know, there's a point at which I need to take back control of my life. Uh, And and yet they what's interesting to me was that uh, they don't do it for religious purposes, but they call it a tech Sabbath, because I think the word designates a sacred time, a sacred space. And I think that's what they were hungering for.
1: But, Martin, we're living in a time, as you recognized, uh, when it is for so many people Uh, a a a seven-day-a-week sense of obligation. In fact, I have run into people who are criticized for taking a day off, for taking a weekend, and there are others who are saying, "Uh, really? How can you you do that? I mean, when your family needs uh, all of those extra things, aren't there fewer people, though, these days, no matter how important it is that they do it. Aren't there fewer people who do recognize whether you call it a Sabbath or just that daily break? Well, you you can measure, Pat, how many people are attending, you
0: know, some form of worship service, either on Saturday or Sunday. That's measurable. It's it's harder to measure how many people are actually taking, you know, a voluntary Sabbath, putting down the phones or stopping work or whatever. But um, I I think, like I said before, I, I think it's it's more needed, and the film I think has really touched a chord for people to say, "You know this is something that uh, I, I need I do need to be thinking about. I mean, nobody would argue against the idea that taking a break once a week is good for your health, but what we're also arguing is that it's good for your soul uh, It's not just simply taking a nap on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon that that we could all use it's It's also about saying you know i'm going to put I'm going to put this down for a while I'm going to stop." trying to transform everything in my world, in my universe. I'm going to stop working on everything, tra- changing everything to fashion it in my way. And, and one, of the, one, of the real, um, one of the real conversation pieces that I got in doing all the interviews for the film was with Susanna Heschel. Yes. She's the daughter of Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great prophetic voice uh, of the 20th century, who wrote the book. The Sabbath, just a landmark book, and we look at that now as a landmark book 70 years later. And she said that, you know, in our house, she said, uh, and she remembers this from the earliest years growing up, that in our house, despite the fact that her father was absolutely committed to the civil rights movement, to ending the war in Vietnam, to rescuing Jews in the Soviet Union, to all of these at the time were considered to be very noble social-political causes. He'd work on those six days a week. But on Shabbat, that stopped. And not only did it stop, the most important thing I think that I saw, I heard in her conversation with me was that she said, you know, we didn't talk about that. We, we didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about the Holocaust on Shabbat because you don't want to talk about things that sort of raise up the feelings spark the emotions inside of you today is a day not only to physically rest but to emotionally put it down and what a wonderful lesson i think a wonder what a wonderful suggestion for our culture which is very contest and uh, contextual uh, contextual in terms of you know battling 24 7 um over the you know the politics and the social issues of our days and everything we fight like crazy and maybe it's 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 healthy for us to put the fight down for one day and say, you know, I'm going to look at the world around me. I'm going to look at God's presence in my world, and I'm going to see the other person as a human being before I see them as a political challenge. Uh, and I think that whole notion of putting it down, putting emotionally putting it down uh, for one solid day a week is to everybody's benefit.
1: As a fellow Roman Catholic, you and I both grew up the same atmosphere. Uh, you told me right before we went on, Uh, that Doblemeyer does not sound like it came from uh, one of the original counties of Ireland, but you have a great deal of Irish background. Uh, Pat McMahon, yes, obviously uh, from an Irish Catholic background. But wasn't it interesting to you, uh, as you did the research for this film, Sabbath, Uh, that not only were there different days between the Christians and the Jews, but that it seemed as if there was a tradition of a day of rest everywhere, including in the East, the Eastern religions.
0: Yeah. A lot of people, as I was uh, starting the project, a number of people said, well, you know, Muslims, what do Muslims have Sabbath? Uh, And is, is Sabbath something, an idea that's held up in Islam? And, um, uh, I had known um, an imam, um, Khalid Latif, in New York City. Very, very articulate young man. Uh, at the age of 24, he was named the chaplain, the Muslim chaplain to the New York Police Department. Oh, and wow. uh, he did that for many years. He's 24 years old. That's how smart he is. And then uh, he's older now, but he's also taken on something called the Islamic Center at New York universities. So he deals with young people primarily, and the, the community that's down in the financial district, a lot of very smart people. So he's the Muslim representative and the imam for that community there. And he was gracious enough to invite us in, and we spent time with, with uh, Imam Khalid. And, and what Muslims have is they don't use the term Sabbath as much. Certainly, you know, they, uh, they recognize it in the scriptures, uh, but they don't think of themselves as necessarily needing rest. And they don't think of necessarily God needing rest. You know, on the seventh day, God rested, Uh, and that's that's a little disconcerting from an Islamic perspective that the God that God needs rest. But what they have is something called Friday Juma prayer, Mm -hmm. and on the on the Friday Juma prayer, it's an invitation to say that uh, this is and this is centuries old. That you know, where you would have your daily prayer in your local mosque on Friday you would travel to the big mosque and that's where you would have your, that's where you would have your prayer and you gather on a Friday together as a community. And when you finish, you, you're encouraged to go off and do uh, so you to do something for the society around you to help those in need, to recognize the, the need of others. And uh, Friday is the sacred day in the cycle of Islam. So for, um, I think for, you know, For us, we wanted to say, you know, it's not identical, and yet isn't it fascinating to see that there are communities uh, that still hunger for an opportunity to say, no, this one day a week is absolutely special. It's special for us. It's special in the way we interact with God, and it's, it's special for the way that we have to interact with each other.
1: Fascinating, by the way, is the word that I used after uh, watching both uh, Segment 1 and Segment 2, Parts 1 and Parts 2, of the latest documentary by our guest Martin Doblmeier, uh called Sabbath, uh, and by the way, we should really not wait till the end of this hour uh, to tell people how it is that they might find it uh, accessible and available to them. Uh, two
0: ways, uh, and both are for free. Uh, one way is you can go to your local PBS station, and you just uh, you, you you log on and you type in Sabbath S A B B A T H Sabbath. Sabbath. The other way is to come to our website, which is Journey Films. Uh, And we have it available there on our website. And the advantage if they come to Journey Films is that in addition to the full two hours of the film, uh, we also have a lot of educational material. We have recommendations for additional readings. We have background about the people who are in the film. So if you, you watch the two hours and you really like the commentary offered by some particular person, you can find a little bit more about them, maybe learn a little bit about some of their writings or what they do in their lives and everything. So we have all that material that's all been compiled for us uh, at Journey Films. And so those
1: two options, either your PBS
0: station or to come to us.
1: Good. We have a great PBS affiliate uh, here, Channel 8 uh, in uh, Phoenix. And uh, they do some wonderful things, and they also make things like your films uh, available to the audience. Uh, and by the way, I learned a great deal about the Sabbath from your films. But when I was in Israel, I also learned something that I've never forgotten. Uh, my, uh, my travel guide told me that he would not be available the next day uh, to uh, take me around another neighborhood in Jerusalem because it was Shabbat. Uh, and uh, that he, of course, didn't work. But if I wanted to join him on a stroll, uh, that it would be rude of him not to answer any of my questions. He just couldn't do so in a professional capacity. And that uh, he was a walker on that day anyway, uh, because he didn't drive. And I asked him about that. I asked him about why that was a part of uh, the uh, sacrifice uh, that was made uh, during Shabbat. There were so many things that you didn't do that you couldn't do and shouldn't do, but why was driving a part of it? And he said, because when you turn the key in the ignition, it starts a fire. The spark is considered work, and I never thought of that in my life, but I've never forgotten it. But walking is okay, <laughs> as long as you don't start a fire along the way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and walking was okay, and he could point things out if I asked. Uh, and uh, and he said, you know, this is not cheating on my part. He says, we're just a couple of pals walking around Jerusalem, and, and I'm being hospitable to a friend. Yes, and... and um
0: and you know, isn't it what I find most interesting, uh, Pat, in terms of religion, and what I guess the best way to say it is religious people, uh, there's always this struggle. Um, how do we practice w- with sincerity those things that we believe, adhere to the codes of those beliefs, and yet live in the modern world? Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, I mentioned before this uh, book that was written by the the great Jewish rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. So he releases it in 1951, the beginning of the 1950s, and it's really right about a time in America. And now, he's an Orthodox Jew, and he's in America, uh, Heschel is, but now one of the things that's happening is that... Uh, they're beginning to relax the idea that so many people now are moving out of the base communities in the major cities. Jews are moving out of those base communities into the suburbs. So there's really intense discussion about whether or not we're going to let it's going to be okay for certain tracts of Judaism to drive to synagogue on Shabbat. And it was finally concluded that, yes, you you can drive because there's just no other way to get there. I mean, America's becoming more and more was was becoming at that time more of a suburban country than it ever had been in the past. And so all these tensions come with creating laws and that laws that literally go back thousands of years. You know what does it mean to be threshing in a, in the modern world? What does it mean to be harvesting in the modern world? These laws, the 30, 39 laws of that they' what's forbidden on, on Sabbath, written thousands of years ago, and yet the, the attempt by people of faith is to say, how do we incorporate that into our understanding of how we're living in the modern world? And so those notions of can you drive, can you not drive, how do you do that, all these things are part of people trying to be faithful, and yet, yet try to live in the modern
1: world. And a part of your film Sabbath, uh, and a part of that film uh, that I found riveting uh, was your visit to that base community neighborhood uh, where the Hasidic Orthodox members all lived in a concentrated area.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, the community is called Crown Heights. Um, And uh, I had gone up with my wife, we had gone up um, over a Christmas holiday, I guess now about two years ago, uh, and were given a tour by um, one of the rabbis. And he was just terrific, and he actually appears in the film. He's the younger of the two rabbis that you see in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, his He's uh, um, uh, his his Friedman as well, but his uncle, Mattis Friedman, uh, was really, I find, somebody who's very articulate, very compelling. You know, he's quite a popular figure. He he has podcasts, he writes books, he gives lots of lectures and everything, and so uh Manus Friedman was gracious enough to give us time and to sort of bring us around the community and invite us into into um, prayer, uh, into study. Uh, and, but you cannot film. You cannot film during worship of Shabbat. Uh, so we could film during the weekday service, which we were told is identical to what happens on Shabbat. But um, you cannot actually film on Shabbat. So um, we. We took what we felt as though it was an appropriate measure, which is to give people as close as a closer understanding and appreciation for what what is possible. But for me, uh, we felt very welcome. I mean, it was just a community that felt as though they had been misunderstood by many, but uh, trusted me. You know, I, I, my area of specialty, all the 32 films that I've done, 33 films, whatever it is, is all on religion, faith, and spirituality. So I think. I think they had recognized early on they had a friend, you know, the, who wanted to come and document them and tell their story. It's, it's easy for the Western world to say, "Look at these these people who were so different," uh, and you know, believing in something that is seems so out of touch with the modern world. But I think I, I hope that they felt as though their story was trust it was in when trustworthy hands.
1: And the segment uh, though, was so filled with activity, uh, people jammed into this. Uh, into this uh, edifice uh, and traditionally arguing uh, the, uh, uh, the scriptures with one another. And you, you really found yourself uh, discovering new things about particularly that level of the orthodoxy. But you also found new things, as did I as a Catholic, when you visited the Trappist monks. Talk to us about that.
0: Yes, that was one of my favorite segments. Um, uh, we went to St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts. It's it's about uh, about forty miles west of Boston. Uh, and they, I went through quite a process, Pat, before they allowed me to come in. I, I'll tell you this is true. Uh, they there had been other documentary filmmakers who'd come to their community in the past and uh, left a disappointing taste in the mouth of the monks uh and so i was scrutinized quite a bit before they gave us the green light but they had known my films and invited me to come and uh, we spent spent the better part of a week in the community with the people and and the, the question we kind of wanted to get to was twofold uh one here you have a a, a body of monks who get up at 3:30 in the morning and they stop and pray seven times a day so what makes sabbath any different Frankly, how do you know you have you're, you're up praying for most people? Um, Sabbath represents the one time during the week when you go to your religious community and and gather in prayer. Um, and for the monks who gather seven times a day, what's what's the difference about Sabbath? And then, second of all, what did Benedict, what did Saint Benedict back in the fifth century have to say about the notions of Sabbath? And was that something that's applicable? And if so, are you are you practicing in your monastery today? Practices that have been held together and, and practiced for the last 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 years. So so the answer was this, that Benedict, uh, back in the 400s, actually had a prescription for how he wanted the brothers to practice Sabbath. It was a different day. You were not to work. This is a community that works six days a week. Part of, the, part of their mantra is, Aura et labora, mm-hmm. work and prayer. But on on Sunday... Work stops. Um, the prayer cycle is different because you have Mass. Weekly, you have Sunday Mass. A lot of emphasis is put on that, so that Mass is, is special. It's not just a, a daily Mass, it's a special Mass. And then third of all, which I found really interesting, is they had a special once-a-week message uh, from, from the abbot. They were to sit and gather and listen to the word from the abbot. And then finally, um, Lexio Divina. It means divine writings. Benedict, 1,500 years ago, 1,700 years ago, sorry, uh, instructs the brothers that not only will you stop on your Sunday, but you will pick up uh, sacred readings. You You will learn to read. You will read your scriptures. You will read your sacred writings, and you will fill yourself with those, and you will teach others. And so the monasteries, going back, all these years actually were a center where people were learning how to read because the the brothers learned how to read. They learned how to read the scriptures and they learned how to read sacred texts and everything. But because of that practice of Sabbath, uh, they had advanced their readings and they were able to teach it to others. And, and and I think that's one of the great untold stories in terms of what religion has done for good in
1: the world. Well, it also uh, opened up a vista that most of us would never have occasion to see uh you almost didn't have the opportunity until you were vetted uh <laughs> and and that uh that is one of the the wonders that i think exist in the world of documentary film uh, why the stimulus happened to you what was the that first motivation for you to say i think i'd like to do something about the sabbath i've never seen another film devoted to it
0: well that was true first of all i had not seen a film a documentary film done on the sabbath um i have many friends um who are who happen to be seventh day adventists and uh they they practice rather serious you know they take seriously the sabbath uh, and they're Sabbath. They are Christians, and they take ser- seriously a Saturday Sabbath. So for them, mm-hmm. Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday evening and goes till sunset on Saturday. And they're they're quite serious about it. Um, I had done a story about Seventh Day Adventists a number of years ago, uh, because and this is what PBS was interested in, uh, because Adventists, as a community, are some of the healthiest people on the planet. Uh, They take very seriously the health message that the, the church is offering. And one of the components to that health message is to be serious about your Sabbath. Stop for a day, rest, gather as community, enjoy a good meal, and enjoy the world around you. So that was planted in my head, I guess, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And then the last documentary film I did before the film Sabbath was on Abraham Joshua Heschel, who had written the Sabbath book. And I went back and read it again for the preparation and the research for the Heschel film. And th- th- those two things came together. But there was also a third component too, Pat. And the third component was much to my surprise. The third component was that we had entered into this this incredible historic social moment of the, the, the pandemic, COVID-19. and And everything shut down. Religious communities all across the country, all around the world, were compelled instantly to shut the door and figure out figure out what you're going to do later on. And there were legal fights about you can't close this down, and there were all kinds of things going on. But one of the things that became clear was that Sabbath as a practice was interrupted in a way it had never been in this country. And um, some churches uh, didn't do well. Others understood what this was going to be and adapted pretty quickly to the technology and try to figure out a way to, to keep their communities together. And actually, they thrive during that. So I thought all those components of reading the book on Heschel, having my friends who are Seventh-day Adventists, seeing what was happening, the chaos that was happening instantly in terms of religious gatherings in this country. I thought, you know, Sabbath becomes a, a storyline through which all of this can uh, be brought into and, and brought into in a worthwhile way.
1: Isn't there still a struggle, by the way, in, uh, in churches and, and synagogues and mosques? I'm assuming, uh, post pandemic, just simply reattracting that faithful audience that, in all too many cases, uh, was dying before the service ended.
0: Yeah, there's a reality that has to be faced, uh, and maybe that'll be the subject of the next film. But um, there's a reality that has to be faced, that churches, congregations are struggling. Um, The numbers that I heard was, if you go back about uh, 15 or 20 years ago, uh, the average church had 135 members. Today, it's lucky to have 65 members, Mm. average. Uh, And in some cases, they're really struggling. Uh, but what's, what's interesting? A couple of things are interesting here. Is that every pastor that I talked to in the process of making the film said, "You know, even when we shut down, the giving continued." I said, "You got to be kidding me!" They said, "No, it's kind of—we are all quite pleasingly surprised about this—and thank God for designated giving. You know, there a lot of a lot of people have decided, you know, automatically take out a certain amount of money every week or every mm-hmm. month for the for the synagogue or the church and everything. But the giving didn't go down." Uh, and certainly the, and nobody was in the, in, in the pews for a long period of time, but I see now clear evidence that people are starting to come back. And, and I think what you'll see now for a while, uh, and, and maybe for part this, next, this current generation, is a hybrid so that people are going to be both in, 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 in the pews and watching from home. We got pretty comfortable, Pat, watching the services with a cup of coffee in our hands and slippers on our feet. And uh, especially when you know, in the in the in the colder in the colder weather, it gets a little bit more challenging to get up and clean off the car and go off to church on a Sunday. But the truth of the matter is, people still have this hunger to be together. They want to be together. For a lot of people, it's it's not only get, gathering as church, but it's also the social realities for them. And those things are critical, I think, for all of us.
1: The television organization uh, where I do talk shows. uh here in Phoenix, provides live coverage of uh, Sunday Mass every single Sunday. And uh, it is met with tremendous enthusiasm and gratitude, Matt Martin. Yeah. And they used to call them uh, Mass for shut-ins. Yes. But I think it's
0: because, do you remember that? Yes, they used to call it that. and But now I think it means a lot. I think it means for a lot of people the opportunity, and in some cases the only opportunity for people to be able to gather. But... You know, like I said, it, you know, church is not just, you know, coming together for the two hours or, you know, the service time, uh, but it also becomes this community, this shared voice, to be part of a, a chorus of voices that are praying together, singing together, gathering for meals afterwards. I mean, that's, that's still, that's something in our human nature that we're calling out for that, and that's not going to stop.
1: Martin Doblmeier, uh, in his film, Sabbath, a documentary that is specifically about Sabbath, Shabbat, uh, takes us to monasteries and to cathedrals. But the surprise to me was when you took us to the campus of Princeton University for, (laughs) for the story of the Samaritan. Do you mind telling it to our audience now?
0: Yes, I I have a a good friend, a theologian, very, very popular writer. She's just terrific. Her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh, And I was talking to Barbara about this film that I was going to be planning on doing uh, on Sabbath. And she said, you know, you can get up to Princeton Theological Seminary because there's a program going on up there called The Farminary, run by somebody who's written about it, published books about it, the whole notion of farming. Uh, with a, a sense of the Sabbath in mind. Uh, and he, and the, the, it's called the Farminary. It's a combination of the word farm and the word seminary on the grounds of Princeton Theological Seminary. They've converted these 21 acres into a farm and actually grow their f- fruits and vegetables on the farm. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to give the next generation of ministers and church leaders, the people who are going to seminary training now, a sense of putting your, you know, you're not just like reading texts about Karl Barth and the theologians and sitting in the classroom and and discussing these high ideas. You're putting your hands in the dirt. You're remembering that this is the earth that God has given you, that you have to work hard. A lot of people make their livings by working physically hard, appreciate the challenge of farming, appreciate the cycles of life, the cycles of the seasons, uh, and all of those things is part of what he's, he's trying to teach the people at the farming area. And He's written a wonderful book. It's called Wrestling with Rest. And the fellow who's directing it, his name name is Nate Stuckey. Uh, He's just a charming guy. He's a Mennonite who comes out of Kansas. He grew up on a farm. And now he's in New Jersey teaching the next generation of pastors what it's like to farm under Sabbath principles.
1: We've been talking about the future of religion when it comes to at least the ever-shrinking congregation's uh, that exists virtually everywhere. Uh, and, and part of that is because of the fact that the lesson uh, that continues to be uh, repeated in the Doblemeyer film that we're talking about, Sabbath, is that we are in such a hurry and why don't you just take a break one day a week, huh? That wouldn't hurt you. And that lesson also was told on the campus of Princeton with the Samaritan story. Ah, uh, yes. Um, thank you for reminding me of that. Yes, um, uh,
0: one of the, 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 the Princeton Theological Seminary, of course, is one of the oldest seminaries in the country. Uh, back in 1970, a group of the Princeton Theological Seminary students uh, got together with a psychologist um, from Princeton University, and they devised this experiment in human behavior. It was, it, was, it, it was not uh, a long experiment, it just took a, you know, a short period of time to actually put it together. But it, in its own way, it was brilliant. The experiment was simple. They took the, the, that, that year's class, 1970, uh, and broke them into three groups and told them that there would be, all for them. there was going to be this event on the other side of the campus that they had to go to. The first group they told they had to go to this event across the campus, and, and they, had, they, had a, they had plenty of time. Take all the time you need. Second group that they sent across the campus, they were told, you but you kind of have to move quickly, but you have time. Third group they told, you better get a move on. You're all really late. and You're all going to get uh, punished if you don't get yourself over there to the other side of the campus. And, and, and what none of the students realized is that as part of the experiment, they had staged an actor in an alley on the other side of the campus. They would have to pass through to get to their final destination. And what they determined was, that, as they watched and examined all the students, is that when they found those who felt as though they were in the most hurry were the least likely to stop to help this guy who was lying on the ground as though he was in some kind of physical trouble and really did need help. Now, all of these were theology students. All of them would have been Familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus taught of the Good Samaritan about stopping on the way to help somebody who's um, who's right there in front of you. And so uh, the the people who were conducting the study, and this has actually got widely written up in New York Times and all the uh, other different kind of publications. And it was basically to say, look, this is not a scientific study necessarily, but it's just our it's just our appreciation for the fact that it's clear evidence that people, the more they're in a hurry, the least likely they are to stop and see the needs of others. And Sabbath, I think, we we wanted to include that story because we were at Princeton, because we were already doing a story up at Princeton, but I just found it absolutely fascinating that it just seemed to be parallel, Pat, to everything we were dealing with, which is that, you know, until you stop, take a big, deep breath, and take a good look at the people and the world around you you're moving too fast to help anybody or to care about anybody else other than
1: yourself. That was a profoundly moving moment for me uh, in reflecting on the times that perhaps I could honestly say unintentionally I did pass by someone that needed me. I might not have thought about it at the moment. Why? Because I was in too much of a hurry. And it, it, it really is a, an underpinning of, uh, the, uh, of, of the documentary, uh, it, because it just was one of those things, particularly now post-COVID, uh, in which we can make so many excuses why we're not going to go back and spend all of that wasted time on Sunday when we can get things done.
0: Yep. Well, and one of the things I appreciated was they actually um, they actually took uh, a story, a parable, out of the scriptures from 2,000 years ago, and gave it a modern reference, and gave it a modern point to launch off of. Uh, and and yet, isn't it isn't it fascinating that human behavior doesn't seem to change? The garb changes, the locations <laughs> yes. change, but human behavior really changes. And
1: you must have arrived. You must have arrived at a conclusion, Martin, for this. Uh, while you were involved as actively as you were, focusing on the Sabbath, however one defines it, what do you think that leaders in religion and parishes uh, can do to make Sabbath, to make the Sabbath more attractive? to bring more people in because it, what we were talking about before the gray-haired flock in those pews are going to be gone pretty soon and uh we're on the edge of a of, of a religious abyss
0: well it's certainly the um the, the 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 pattern the direction is downward pat pat there's just no question about that but that's not necessarily fatal um, what's really interesting to me, you ask, what can they what can they do? Um, we spent uh, a, f- a fair amount of time, I guess, about ten days, out in Los Angeles, in the inner city of Los Angeles, California, at this wonderful congregation called Our Lady Queen of Angels. Mm. Um, but because it's um, across the street from the Great Plaza, the big plaza in lo- downtown right in downtown Los Angeles. It's called La Placita, meaning this, the little plaza. Mm-hmm. That's the name, the nickname for the, for the parish. So we spend a week there. and its uh, I can tell you a little bit more about it. But when I'm finished, it's a Catholic church. Uh, it's a big, hopping church. It really is quite something special. When it was all done and over with, uh, uh, after all the filming was over with, we're all saying our goodbyes, uh, the pastor comes over to me, and he says, Martin, I, I just want to say thank you. And I said, well, it's been a pleasure. I want to thank you. And he said, no, no, I, I'm serious. He says, you know, I've been a pastor for 30 years. I show up and do my job every Sunday. Uh, but I hadn't really thought about Sabbath until the, you announced that you were coming and, and you were doing a film on this. And you were going to be asking me these questions. And that it made me stop and think in detail about the job that I've been doing faithfully every week for the last 30 years. And we heard this time and time again. Uh, that, in fact, p- the people who are actually giving me Sabbath at, at, to some level, meaning create the religious moment, the liturgical moment, the, the communal gathering moment, are working really hard to make that happen. Uh, and one of the byproducts I hope will happen with this film is that those people themselves who are trying the best to provide a Sabbath experience for me um, will actually stop and think about the, uh, you know, what it really means what it means at a deeper level, what's really going on in here, and what are all the other implications that you hadn't thought about. Because fundamentally, if you just think about you know, going to your place of worship for an hour or so on a particular day once a week, it's not quite all the Sabbath is intended to be. I mean, there's so many other dimensions to this that we're talking about in the film that I think are really important. But it's really great to hear a pastor who's doing this, dedicated his life to doing this, say, look, I I hadn't thought about it until, you know, the the subject of this film comes up, and I I just wanted to say thank you.
1: Martin Delbemeyer, at the beginning of our conversation, you said that it was uh, pretty close to 30 documentaries, maybe a few more, he says humbly. Uh, But uh, I would never, ever uh, be so rude as to say, which is your favorite But is there one that you want your family to keep close to them when you're gone? You know, know, Pat, I want to tell you something. Um, And this
0: is from the bottom of my heart. I've been asked that question a hundred times, but never quite like that. (laughs) <laughs> That's really the truth. I've been asked, well, which is your favorite, which is your favorite? Uh, but I've never been asked the way that you phrased it, you know, when I'm gone, which one would my family want which one would I want my family to hold closest to their heart? That's a very interesting, you know i I'm, I'm it's stopping me from you know to responding because I'm sort of taking all that in right now. well, was, it's you know, all also emotional. different
1: than what is your who's your favorite child? and yeah. uh, uh, because when you, When you leave that kind of legacy, no matter what it is, uh, a a building, a painting, uh, whatever, uh, I think that you make different choices. And the artwork that you do, particularly since the field has so many things in common, uh, the, uh, the, the documentaries are all in and around the world of human spirituality. Have you come up with an answer yet?
0: I did. Oh, thank you. You, you. you gave me 30 <laughs> seconds to think about it. but But, you know, it, it's not so much maybe that it's my favorite, uh, but it became the public favorite. And that's a documentary film that I did and we released it in 2003 on the great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm. Uh, I read Bonhoeffer when I was in high school, Pat. Uh, my religion teacher in high school said, Boys, you're taking this book home and we're going to start working on something serious now in your life. And we started reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I think, in some ways, he, that, that story of Bonhoeffer, who was the German theologian back in the World War II period, who actually was one of the first active voices of resistance to Adolf Hitler, uh, I, I couldn't put the book down, the story down. And I did a film on Dietrich Bonhoeffer back in 2002. We released it in 2003. And um, it became actually quite a, a huge hit for us. And it really in some ways sort of put me as a filmmaker at, up, you know, another level uh, because it was released into theaters. Uh, and we, were, we had a distribution company called First Run Features. They were the largest uh, distributor of documentary films, independent documentary films at the time. And it was their biggest film for the year. And I did a hundred public events around the country. I spoke about the film and what it meant to me, and who Bonhoeffer should be to you. And I did that a hundred times across the country for almost two years. And that's the that maybe that would be the first of the list that really sort of
1: was that the film, by the way, in which uh, you took the German Church of World War II to task for its inaction against the Nazis.
0: I did. Um, I did. We were one of the early people to do that, to speak about that clearly. It was not only in action. But the 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 real sad, sad thing is that the the German Church after World War One, who had really inspired young men to go into mil into military service to serve God and country in World War One, and uh, had lost so much credibility as you know as a church as a body. In those years after World War One, for what it had done, was desperate in the 1920s and 30s to start to regain some sense of credential within the German culture. And who does it? Who does much of it latch onto? Is Adolf Hitler, this rising star in the 1930s in Germany? And they're they're attaching their star to his, their wagon to his star. And I think that was they 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 went out of the frying pan and into the fire doing that. Uh, and uh the, the church allowed its language to be stolen allowed the, you know Hitler was able to to take you know language like we you know are we will build a nation that will be resurrected here we will offer the salvation for our people so all this language that really belonged to the religious people uh before that the, the national socialists took uh, and it was brilliant on their part and it's so deceptive on their part but they did it and the churches let them do that uh, and I, I thought that was an important dimension, and I, I'm proud of the fact that we were able to do that in a very public
1: way. We still must be careful about the involvement of churches and politics and specific favorite politicians.
0: Uh, if that's a question, the answer is yes. Um, I think the Constitution is pretty clear about the separation in church and state. Uh, And I think we have to navigate at all times what that really means, at all times what that really means, because I don't think it really does the churches any good to have the states involved, and it doesn't do the state much good to have the church involved. Uh, And yet at the same time, here's the challenge, at the same time, people of faith are called to improve the world uh, for the people around them, not only their own parishioners, their own people who are coming into their own churches, but for everyone. And you do that by, you know, transforming the state to have an an, an understanding of compassion and the, and the the purpose and value of each and every human being. So the churches are always trying to navigate how does how does it, how do we fulfill the mission that we've been given in a in a state situation uh, that really is formally to keep us outside. And I think you do that through inspiration and example. That's what I think is the key thing. The churches have to be the inspiration and the example for people to be motivated to go out and transform the world for the better. I think that's part of what Sabbath is supposed to be about. Sabbath is supposed to give you that one day off to think about other than your own financial success. Think about the people in the world around you. Think about their needs. Put somebody else's needs for that day before you. And to do that collectively, to do that as a group, to do that together. Uh, and then march back out again the day after Sabbath, and start to take the world on again in a in a renewed and refreshed way.
1: Since the subject of World War II and uh, mainstream churches has become part of the conversation, I would be remiss if I didn't also acknowledge the fact that our, our, yours, and mine, Pope uh, Pius Pope. A uh, pious of the uh, Roman Catholic Church and the Vatican at that time, during those times, uh, has also been uh, a subject of criticism for, uh, for lack of a better term, inaction.
0: Um, yes. Um, uh, without, I know. Well, I'll be brief. But the answer is yes. In 1933, 1933. Um, the Pope signed something called the Concordat in Germany, which basically legitimizes and recognizes the new government under the new Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler. Now, he does that um, because he doesn't want the government, which he knows is going to turn out to be reckless, interfering in church procedures in Germany. The exchange is that in recognizing Hitler, that becomes his first real global form of recognition. So Hitler got much more out of that deal than I think than the Catholic Church ever did. And then to recognize under the Concordat, Hitler had every intention of breaking all the promises. So by 1937 and 38, all the promises had been broken uh, and Hitler's on his way. And the church is not at the time doing much about it. But I, but I also want to say, I think the churches get, I think it has to be remembered that the churches aren't an army. This was a brutal willing to kill anything in its way, dictatorship. And, and so I think uh, the Pope uh, Pius was always in, in a place where he felt as though the more I speak out, the more likely that you know, Catholics are going to be put, especially priests and nuns, are going to be put in concentration camps along with Jews. I think that puts the, the official Catholic Church in a terrible position. And also, you know, the church's center, global center, is in Italy, which was fascist at the time. I mean, it's an island in the midst of a fascist country under Benito Mussolini. So I, I, I think that that was a perfect formula for you know creating your own self-destruction. So I, I, I have more empathy, I think, for what the Catholic Church uh, failed to do. I, I, I recognize it was a failure. They they needed strong voices. The Church didn't do what could have been done. Uh, but it's difficult for me, in a in a place of safety and security, to say that others should have. Been out there risking their lives uh, for for the sake of right, uh, uh, but I guess ultimately that's what the the churches are called to do.
1: Martin Duberman, I thank you so much for allowing me the flexibility of diverting uh, from the subject of your film Sabbath to talk about those elements of history and how churches were involved and less involved than they should have been. Uh, I just knew that you would have strong opinions and that you would express them uh, eloquently, and you did. Before we have to leave, I, I want to remind everybody that we're talking uh, this hour with Martin Doblmeier so that you will know that uh, there are two single-hour episodes of his documentary on the Sabbath, uh, and the different ways that people express themselves uh, having that one day during the week to rest, um, and the the documentary's worth your time. I'm not here to sell books or films. I am here to tell you that I really recommend it highly because I've spent uh, some time with it myself over the last couple of days, and uh, I know you won't regret it. The only thing that would be regretful is if Martin doesn't remember how for how you can. Yeah, make yourself, uh, make it accessible to you. So, Martin, this is your time now. Sabbath, where, and how? Uh, thank you, Pat. No, it's, it's,
0: a, it's a documentary film that's being shown on public television, so you can go to your local PBS station and type in Sabbath, S A B B A T H, and it should come up. Uh, and then the other alternative is to come to our website, which is Journey Films j o u r n e y f i l m s dot com uh, and it's free uh, you just sign in and you can get a free get free access to the film and as i mentioned earlier, not only the film but there's background information about all the people who appear in the film so if you're like a particular person, a spokesperson for the film. Uh, you can actually go in and look a little bit more about them. There's background about questions. So if you want to gather in your communities or your churches, your schools, and, and have a little question format to be able to have conversation, there's recommenda- recommendations for additional readings uh, about the topic of Sabbath and people that we couldn't get into the film but really respect a lot. So it's all there at
1: Films. And also at no charge whatsoever, as long as you can do it in 30 seconds. Want to give us a preview of what's next in the Doblemeyer Library of Film?
0: Well, uh, uh, the last one was a, a series of fil- a biographies called Prophetic Voices about the great religious figures of the 20th century. And now it looks as though we're going to be embarking on a, a major two-hour film uh, to look at where Christianity in America is going in, the 20- in this part of the 21st century. The prognosis is not particularly good, but I think there's lots of signs of hope that are out there, and we're actually out to explore both.
1: Subjects that we might be talking about, with Martin Doblemeyer's permission, of course, on The God Show. That's how you met Martin this time around, uh, and also how we got acquainted. I'm Pat McMahon.